0: Welcome to another episode, another season, and another year with the Good Lion Podcast. I am Brian Higgins, and I'm joined by my good buddy, Aaron Salvato. Aaron, so much is new, so much is good. How do you feel?
1: Well, I'm glad 2020 is over, but I also feel like we are entering 2022.0. I I want to have hope. (laughs) I really do but there's a lot of things
0: slogan for this podcast. I want to, I want to have hope. I really
1: (laughs) No, It's, it's good to be here. It's good to be doing another season of this show with you. Yeah. Five seasons. I feel like every season we go through this show becomes more of what it is. If that makes sense. I feel like we've found our voice, we found our flow and rhythm, and it's, uh, it's a mixed bag. We've got interviews, but my favorite episodes, Brian, are honestly the ones where I get to talk to you.
0: I feel like we've finally been doing this show long enough where it's kind of like when you're watching season four or season five of the office you're like oh my goodness this is great and then you go back to season one and you're like wait these are the same thing like this (laughs) this is actually the same consecutive show and like whenever there's any like big show that you like for a while like eventually you look back on season one and you're like that was a totally different thing and (laughs) <laughs> I feel like we've we've hit that point. I'm not trying to say that our show is as good as season four or five of <laughs> The Office. I'm just trying to do the comparative right. comparison.
1: Well, I stand by the content of season one, but the production quality was definitely not as good. And you know me, I love the production stuff. So yeah, I, I'm I'm glad that we're doing what we're doing and I'm glad that it sounds better than it did season one. But yeah, go back and check out the Righteousness miniseries in season one. It's it's good stuff. It's good stuff.
0: That was a good series. I stand by that series. Well, let's leave the past in the past. We're in a new year. We're pressing into a new season, and this is a time where people normally, unless you're Aaron, get very optimistic about what might lie ahead for the rest of the year. Yeah, you seem really down and I don't quite get it because this is the moment where everybody feels great. This is when people can say things like new year, new me, and it's not a joke yet. Wait, are you, like, are, you
1: are you a New Year's resolution guy? Are you? Do you get big into it?
0: So here's what normally happens. Okay. I normally in mid-December start setting goals for what I'm going to do in the new year.
1: As I would expect you to do.
0: Exactly, yeah. but then what happens is I get impatient, which also you would expect me to do. (laughs) Right. And I start those goals before the end of December. So like I normally (laughs) figure out, here's what I'm going to be like Bible reading in 2021. I don't normally do that because that's only happened this year, but normally (laughs) it's like, here's what my Bible reading will look like for the next year. Right. And then I'll have the thought of like, But if I start now, I'll start the year two weeks ahead and then I just (laughs) jump into it early so that I can get on with whatever my goals were or are or moving forward will be like I I just I love getting in and moving forward towards accomplishment (laughs) so I can never actually call them New Year's resolutions. They're just the thing that I'm doing right now. And I started before all of you did.
1: Well, that's pretty much exactly what I would expect you to do. That is me as a person. I know you pretty well. Let's see how well you know me. How how do you think I'm handling New Year's resolutions?
0: I think that you were the kid in middle school where when they made you write down New Year's resolutions on the paper (laughs) that was going to go on the bulletin board, you were like, but New Year's resolutions are just like... People trying to make themselves be something other than who they are. Like I just want to be me. <laughs> yeah how how close was I?
1: That's that's pretty close. Yeah, I I think New Year's I resolutions nailed your middle are. School voice.
0: <laughs>
1: I think New I Year's, know that part. I think they're highly overrated, and I think in my experience and in most people's experiences, you have all these high aspirations, and then you get to February, and it all just goes out the window. So. My thing is, yeah, I'm just going to keep trying to be a good person and better myself in different ways, but
0: I'm not going to make a big deal about it, so if you're thinking at this point, this is going to be an episode on New Year's resolutions. You are incorrect, yeah, because wrong. yeah, wrong. so yeah, you didn't <laughs> get it right. You should have read the title of this episode. Turn better. off the
1: podcast. You are forbidden to listen to the rest. Because no, you're, you're no, wrong.
0: <laughs> stay. Come. Be part of this. Maybe it's reverse many psychology. To talk we can
1: about. we can get people to listen more if we start
0: telling people not to listen. At the we should just make the intro of this show <laughs> like I don't know why you're here. Yeah, there's nothing <laughs> that you could gain from this show.
1: Hey, listen. This isn't for you. This is uh, this is for other people, but not you. This you is, should turn this, this off. This is
0: Big boys only. Why don't, why don't you turn this off, little man? <laughs> Just like really attack people's like masculinity for what, for watching, for listening to this show.
1: I want to do a podcast about why I don't like that, but that's another episode for another day. So let's get into what this episode's actually about.
0: Yes. So in a time period where a lot of people and where you particularly might be thinking about how can I do things better? How can I become a better version of myself? We're not trying to say that that thought unto itself is a bad thing or a damaging thing. Right. However, taken to an extreme, that can become a dangerous thought.
1: Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. It, it can become dangerous when we put so much emphasis on trying to better ourselves or trying to become the best version of ourselves. Oftentimes, we we can set ourselves up for failure because, in my experience, like there's been so many times where I've gone into a situation with so much confidence and just desire to be the best I could be, and then. I mess up and I fail and I fall on my face. And instead of rejoicing in my strength, I'm confronted with my weakness and my failure. And I think that's really what the point of this episode is. We're calling this episode Strength in Weakness. And I think weakness is something that is not fun to talk about. None of us want to talk about our weaknesses. We want to boast about our strengths. We want to post on social media, our highlight reel, and all the ways that we're great. But I don't think that's actually fully honest about what the human experience is. I think every single one of us struggles with weakness. And that's the truth. Even the most confident person out there underneath it all is struggling with weakness. And so... In this episode, Brian and I just want to get really vulnerable and honest with you guys about our struggles and our weakness, not to like wallow in self depreciation, but and hopefully to help connect with you guys listening. Hopefully you'll be able to resonate with this because we we know that you guys struggle just as much as we do.
0: Yeah, and one of the things that I feel like I've noticed is on social media, there's like a new genre of posts that are like the quote vulnerable posts. Hmm. But those kinds of vulnerable posts are very rarely honest, for lack of a better word. Like, can you describe them? This episode is not like this episode is not going to include me saying like, "Man, I've just been so focused on my workout routine that I haven't been <laughs> able to make time for my wife." Like, that's <laughs> not. That That's not like real vulnerability. Like that's just a humble brag. Like and the, a lot of times... Guys,
1: what what a lot of people don't understand is it's so hard being hot. I mean, <laughs> the amount of times <laughs> that people stop me in the street to tell me I'm hot. It's just overwhelming, you guys. And I just want to tell you <laughs> because I can't handle it. Is that kind of the post yeah, you're talking and, about?
0: Yeah. You've probably seen posts like that. You've probably seen a lot of people posts like... Young couples that are married will post a lot of like, guys, marriage is hard. And then they'll like explain. We're
1: on day six of marriage and (laughs) guys, it is
0: hard. Let me tell you. But then it always seems to circle around to, but in the midst of it being really difficult, I'm going to press in and I'm going to soldier on and I know that God is going to meet me and I'm going to overcome this. And by the time you get to the end of the post, it's no longer here's a weakness that's being honestly spoken about that I can relate to. It's a, oh, you solved that problem that I feel like I still have. Right. So now there's distance between you and me.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. And so that's not what we want to do in this episode.
0: We have no solutions here. This episode is just us having problems. And if you've ever <laughs> felt like all that I have is problems, we're here. Mm. We we feel you.
1: Yes. So we're going to get into it. We're going to kind of interview one another and ask each other questions. And yeah, we hope this is a blessing to you. And I hope it's a blessing to us too, Brian. I really do. I'm scared.
0: (laughs) So let's dive in to some questions about weakness. Let's get personal. Aaron and I are going to be the guinea pigs for you. We will be the ones that talk about our weaknesses so that you can go next and you can have these conversations yourself with your friends. Mm. Okay, Aaron, are you ready to be weak? Yes, I am.
1: Mm -hmm. Let's do it.
0: Good. Aaron, what would you point to as your most glaring weakness? Oh, man.
1: Therapy in podcast form. Here we go. So for me, I feel like I have a lot of weaknesses. But the one that I'm the most aware of right now would have to be a huge lack of self-confidence at times that even sometimes transitions into lack of confidence in God, if I'm honest. You know, I, with everything I do, I tend to doubt it. Like when we made this podcast, I doubted that anyone was going to listen. When we started the network, I doubted that it was going to take off at all. I don't usually go into things with this idea of like, oh man, I've got this. I've got it figured out. I'm going to solve it. I'm going to fix it. I usually am like, this isn't going to (laughs) work and I suck. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's not going to come together. And uh, I feel like for me, it like, it it all goes back to, it's just, I mean, that's, I feel like I've always been that way. Like going back to like middle school and high school, I just didn't have a ton of self-confidence. I was constantly looking at other people and thinking that person is better than me. They're better looking, they're more athletic, they're more talented Yeah. It's just, it's constantly been a struggle. So I, it's, it's a hard thing for me to counterbalance as someone in ministry because I envy so much the people who have such boldness and they just go into things like God's got this and he's going to take care of it. And he's empowered me to do it. And most of the time when I'm doing something, I'm like, but God, but has God really empowered me to do this? Like, is he really behind this or is this just me? Uh, making it up as I go. So yeah, that I feel like that is to me, my most glaring weakness. I wish I had a lot more self-confidence.
0: Yeah. I think that that is a really interesting one to put forward. And I think that it's a very relatable weakness. Mm. I think that most people are not confident and the people that look confident are often faking confidence. Mm. I I think that Mm. You know, so much of what I see people trying to do is figure out how can I become more self-assured. Hmm. And so so with a lot of people thinking about that, when someone else shares that they don't feel very confident too, does that make you feel like, OK, I'm not the only one? Or does that just kind of like blow past you and doesn't really do anything for your personal self-confidence?
1: Oh, uh, it's it's phenomenal when i hear somebody else talk about it especially if they're like a hero of the faith for me you know like a pastor i really look up to some of the best sermons i've heard have been guys talking about just their their lack of their own confidence because when i hear somebody and they're preaching and it just sounds like they have so much confidence it's hard for me to relate to that honestly it's hard for me to feel like i could ever get to that point but when i hear somebody talk about like man i went into this I didn't know if it was going to work and I didn't know if I was going to come through and man I was doubting myself so much but then God did this it's 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 always so encouraging to me honestly and that's been it's been my one solace in my lack of confidence and and weakness is when I have so many examples in my life where in my weakness God proved himself to be strong where there are so many times where I was like I don't know If I'm going to make it to the end of this ride. And then I got to the end of it and and God proved himself to be strong. I love those stories, but I still do wish that I could have more confidence. It's something I'm working on, but it's definitely still a struggle because, yeah, I just tend to doubt myself. I really don't think that the things that I have on my heart to do are going to work, you know. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's not that I think they're going to fail miserably. I just think they're not going to work that
0: well, (laughs) (laughs) if that makes sense. (laughs) That sounds like two opposite thoughts at once. But I get what you're saying. It's not that you think that like you're gonna record a podcast and it's gonna end with like the internet turning on you, yeah, there's but a difference you between also crashing don't feel and like burning. it's gonna make waves,
1: yeah, there's a difference between crashing and burning and and mediocrity, you know what I mean, like when someone asks me to go speak mm, somewhere, okay. I don't think that like my pants are gonna fall down in the middle of the message, and I'm gonna like trip and you know face plant onto the ground. But I am like, man, I just don't know if this message is actually going to reach anybody. Oh, I just don't know if this yeah. is going to help anybody. What about you, man? What would you point to as your biggest, most obvious weakness?
0: Yeah, I think that the thing that is most wrong with me, which is just <laughs> a fun way to say it, is I define myself entirely by what I accomplish and produce. Mm. Like everything in me is focused on trying to be great at stuff. <laughs> yeah. And like I, to the point where I go to work and I work as a copywriter in a marketing and like distributing place. It's hard to explain. I don't really <laughs> get it either. But because I go there and my job title is copywriter, I walk in mostly every day thinking like, okay, my job is to be the best writer in this building (laughs) and it shouldn't even be close. Like that's, that's honestly how I think. (laughs) And my feeling is if I show up and I'm not that, then I'm a failure and I'm nothing. Mm. And I would do that with working at church. When I worked at a church and I was teaching regularly I would often think I need to be the greatest Bible teacher I can possibly be. I need to pass this certain bar of excellence. And if I, if I pass that, then I matter. Yeah, right. If I don't pass that, I don't matter. And so Mm. I, I'd ride the wave up and down of when I felt like I passed that, I'd be like, things are great. This is awesome. Everything's fantastic and when i wouldn't hit that i would feel like i'm worthless and i'm a nothing and i shouldn't even be doing this and mm, mm. i look at that as a big weakness because at times it has separated me from what makes relationships actually meaningful yeah rather than just being able to can you enjoy and can better. you flesh that out a little bit more
1: Like in what ways has that affected your relationships?
0: Yeah. So like rather than being able to just kind of sit in and enjoy the fact that I can just be with people Mm. and it's okay. They don't need anything from me. I don't need anything from them. You know, even if I don't feel like I'm contributing something, you know, that doesn't mean that I'm unwanted or unvaluable, mm. but it will make me think that I am unwanted and that I am unvaluable mm. because I don't have anything to contribute. It's yeah. definitely at times played with my head, just like in my marriage of like, if if there's something that I've messed up and I'm human, I mess up, mm. like everybody messes up. Marriage is all about learning how to do things wrong and then slowly forgive and get better and and grow together. Like it's all about extending grace. But when there's a moment where it becomes clear that I've messed something up, instead of being like, that was a problem, I need to not do that again. But everything's cool. My wife is gracious. Life is fine. It's Hmm. easy for me to just get down to like, I am a bad husband, and I will always be a bad husband, and I have failed, and that failure defines everything, and so it's, it's that almost, will never go away.
1: It's almost like, in your mind, if you're not the best, then the only other option is you're the worst.
0: Yeah, I, I forget who I was having this conversation with, but I think I think it's Mercedes, where their slogan for their cars is the best or nothing. <laughs> Mm. That's a thousand percent how I think about myself. Mm. I'm either the best or I'm nothing. Mm. And that so like that's how that works within like relationships that I have with people in terms of my relationship with God at times that it's made me very aware of God's graciousness towards me when I feel like I'm messing up. Yeah. But at times it's led me to live as if the cross never happened. Mm. Like it's led me to live like I'm still in Old Testament times. And if I don't do the good stuff that will make Jesus and I okay, Mm. then Jesus and I are not okay. And he does not want to talk to me and he does not want to be around me. Mm. And he will not look in my direction until I make up for whatever it was that just happened.
1: Yeah. That's so, that's so hard. It's hard to hear because I myself have been there before and it's hard to hear that's something that you deal with. And I also know so many people listening to this probably deal with the same thing. It's interesting. I, so, you know, we both get into the whole Enneagram thing and you know, that it's, it's a tool to kind of understand yourself. It's not found in the Bible anywhere, but it, it it's a tool that can be used And, you know, as I've studied, you know, you know, I'm a two and you're a three. And as I've studied the three, Mm -hmm. I'm just like, every time I read it, I'm like, man, this really is Brian. And when I was reading that actually the other day about the three, it was exactly what you said, defining yourself by your accomplishments and your achievements. Isn't the three actually called the achiever?
0: It is. Yeah. And and what's interesting is that the three, like learning about the Enneagram types and hearing the description of the three huh. was the thing that put words to what I had felt my whole life. Oh, yeah. Like me I would have, I would have always just thought like, yeah, ambition is good. Like you should be ambitious. Like I, I had parents that never defined me by by what I did. Like I'm not about to go there. I had great parents. They were super loving, crazy supportive. But they wanted me and my brother to dream big. Yeah. And so they would tell us like, whatever your dream is, go run at it. Like, go do it. Mm. Like, there is nothing that can slow you down except you, you know, obviously Mm. within limits. But they like wanted us to feel like if we wanted to be the best at something that we could go run after that. And they they did that to instill a a good work ethic in both of us. Yeah. You know it worked but it also like became this driving thing where I took what was healthy being ambitious or having drive to be more than just what I am right now like not to settle into failures and mediocrities and things like that but my sin nature has twisted that and has turned it into an idol mm. and has made it if I'm not the best at this then I might as well not do it well or worse than that if I'm not the best at it I am nothing
1: I mean, I honestly, dude, I relate so much to everything you're saying. So I'm a, I'm a two wing three. So there's elements of that three in there in me as well. It's interesting because, you know, I get what you're saying where you define yourself on the things that you've done and accomplished and whether or not it was the best it could be. And I feel very much the same way uh, a lot of the times I've defined myself based on what I've done. And, uh, the difference for me as a two, you know, the two is the, the helper and the giver. The thing I stress out about and get down on is, you know, when I do something, the question I, I have on my mind is, did it help somebody? And when I feel yeah. like I haven't helped somebody, I feel worthless. It's like, what was it even for? What was all the work for? If nobody got anything from yeah. it? if nobody was enriched by it, if I didn't help somebody become a better, uh, person? Like, if 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 i look at our podcast and it says it has 300 plays but i don't hear from anybody you know that it helped them that's where i struggle when i get a message from somebody like oh that that really specifically helped me with what i was going through in my life the same thing with my sermons when i preached if i Got up and preached and it just, there was no response or I don't know if you ever dealt with this, but as a youth pastor, especially Sunday mornings, cause people are sleepy, I would preach a sermon, but then I was also like one of the small group leaders. And I, so I'd get together with some middle school kids and be like, all right, so what were your thoughts on the sermon? And it would just be crickets sometimes, you know? Mm-hmm. And that would always be like a dagger to the heart because it's like, oh, it didn't help anybody. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah. I I definitely relate with that. I think personally, one of the things that is true about, not to make this an Enneagram episode, but that's true about the Type 3 is they, they talk about the idea of being image-driven, mm. which I used to just reject outright because, like, <laughs> I don't really care what I wear. Like, that's not... Like that kind of image doesn't really matter to me, Mm. but what I've come to see it as is you have real care for, are you the, are you being perceived as the kind of person you want to be perceived as? Mm. So there would be times where I would teach a message and it would not feel like it went well to me. Yeah. Right. And for me, all I've wanted to be for like the last 15 years of my life is a great Bible teacher. That's all that I've wanted. And when I don't feel like I'm living up to that image, I would go to small groups and I would be the quiet one (laughs) because I would just be wrestling with, oh, my goodness, I'm not who I thought I am. Right. Like I'm I'm not this thing that I've been trying to be. And so it'd be hard for me to get out of my own head and get into that space of, oh, but I can make up for it now. I could do something helpful. I could press beyond myself. I would just get caught into Well, if I'm not who I thought I am, then who am I? Mm. And then I'd kind of wrestle with that.
1: Yeah, that's that's so relatable trying to live up to what you feel you're supposed to be and what you feel like everybody else wants you to be or needs you to be. And when you don't feel like you're hitting those marks, it's devastating and you feel worthless. Man, I've just experienced that so many times, especially after leaving and stepping out of full-time church ministry. There's been so many times where it's just like, I'm comparing how I used to feel to how I feel now. And there's days where it's like, what am I even
0: doing So we've talked a little bit about how our weaknesses played out while we were on church staff. I'd like to dig a little bit deeper into that. When you were on church staff, what was the weakness that you felt most self-conscious about?
1: Hmm. The self-confidence one definitely played into it a lot, but I think, I think it's kind of, there's, there's two facets to it. One, I was very much aware that I I compared myself a lot. It was comparisons. That was probably the biggest weakness. I was comparing myself to the youth pastor in town who was at one of the biggest churches in California called North Coast. Huge youth group, tons of stuff going on. They had, you know, it wasn't just like one youth group. It was like, our youth group is so big, we have to split it into six youth groups. And you know, everything they did production-wise was so great. And I constantly was comparing myself in that way. I was comparing myself to my dad, who's a pastor. And, you know, my youth group was usually 30 to 40 people, sometimes 50, you know, around camp season. And I would hear stories about, you know, oh yeah, back in your dad's day, the youth group had 200 kids and there were revivals every Tuesday and, you know, stuff like that. And so that was always hanging on me. And then The other one that was a big one was, I just really struggled, and this is a part of being a two, but I really internalized the struggles of other people. I would see kids in the youth group struggle, and I would want to save them. Like I would want to get in there and help them overcome their addiction, help them with the relationship problem, help them, like I, I just wanna fix the problem. It feels good to help people. And I was just constantly faced with the reality that I can't fix people's problems. And that drove me to some dark places at times because I just wanted to help. And I was constantly faced with like, actually you, you really can't, you can kind of help a little, but you can't fix this. And that was probably the biggest weakness I feel like that I was aware of at the time was my inability to save people. Yeah, that was that was a hard one for me. It still is, to be honest.
0: Yeah, it's definitely difficult to be in a spot where, in part, you feel like your role is to save people. Hmm. And then you become aware, oh, I'm actually really limited in yeah. terms of what I'm able to accomplish. Like, I'm right. here to help people move past things, but I can't accomplish it on my own.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there were so many times where I would be like, I felt like I was trying so hard to help somebody, and it just was like they are running in the opposite direction, even though I'm doing everything I can to point them to the right thing. And that's been a challenge. You know, there's been tears that have been shed over like some of these students. And, and just, you know, it, it breaks your heart when you really are trying to help somebody and then you see them go the wrong way. It, I mean, it hurts your, it hurts your confidence in, in yourself and your ability to be a pastor and a minister. But yeah, I've just, I've realized that that confidence in yourself is so misplaced because ultimately what I've realized is God is the only one who can save. Like it's not my job to save anybody. It's his job to save. I, I just need to deliver the message. And, you know, I've been blessed to see people who I thought were unsavable. Come to Jesus, not because of me. He used seeds that I planted. And sometimes it's years later down the road. But so many of the times where I've seen him come through, I was like, man, that was a work of God and not me. And that's so much better for it to be that way, you know?
0: Hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think that's super relatable of, there's so many situations where we're like, if I could just take control of this mm. and fix it real quick, we'd all win. But knowing that that's not how life works, it can lead to like a strange emptiness yeah. of like, yeah. well, if that's not what I'm able to do, then then what am I able to do? And what should I do at all? Like, was any of this worth doing if I can't just guarantee the right result happens? Right,
1: because sometimes we get into pastoring and ministering and you think your role is to get on stage and say the right things that you prepared for hours and hours. And then it's going to be the magic key that unlocks somebody's heart and helps them understand and makes everything right. But that's not how it works a lot of the times. A lot of the times you say things and it goes one ear and out the other, and they don't even tap into that stuff that you've given them until maybe years later. So it's really challenging I don't know. I mean, have you experienced that that challenge?
0: Yeah, definitely. No, there there've been plenty of students that I've sat down with and it's been like, I just want you so badly to see what I'm seeing. Yeah. And that becomes the real difficult part. Like I just can't make you see what I see. I can't make you think about this the way that I think about it. And so there were yeah. there were definitely plenty of moments where it was like there is such a simple fix here. But the problem isn't even that you won't do the thing that you should do. The problem is you don't see the problem as a problem. Yeah. If that makes sense.
1: It does. What do you feel like for you when you were on church staff? What was the weakness you were most aware of?
0: So ironically, while I completely sympathize with the experience that you're talking about, and while I definitely had moments of that, I felt like my biggest problem was the exact opposite. Hmm. Okay. I felt like I felt like everyone was going to eventually figure out that I don't actually love people <laughs> or that I'm not good at communicating that love and care in the moment. Like, I, I felt like there were two different kinds of ministry. Yeah. There was ministry that happened on stage and ministry that happened off stage. Mm. And I felt like I was pretty good at the ministry that happened on stage. Mm. Felt very comfortable with teaching, loved teaching. So I worked really hard at it. I was part of the worship ministry at our church. Like For the most part, if it happened on stage, I, I could kind of do it mm. at least somewhat and to some extent. But then I would look at the guys who were 10, 15, 20 years older than me, who had been pastors way longer than me, and I'd watch them handle the ministry off stage, and I'd be like, that's the part I can't do yet. Hmm. That's the part I'm no good at, being able wow. to hear somebody in a moment tell you some sin they're struggling with, or some medical situation that's going on with them, or their family, or some like counseling issue would come up, and... I would watch them just jump in and it seems like just naturally know the right things to say, mm. know the right mm. tone to take, know the way to really comfort without being condescending and mm. be able to just meet them in that moment. I was like, I don't think I can do that. Mm. I, I don't think I can get to that level of emotional availability on a moment's notice. And that that was what I really felt. I felt like all of these other guys are pastors who know how to love people. And I'm probably the closed off one where I can I can be good for you if I'm 15 to 30 feet away from you on a stage.
1: <laughs> yeah, man, that's heavy. That's, that's a hard thing to wrestle with. And to realize that and to kind of have that in the back of your mind, I mean, I'm sure that made you feel not very confident in yourself and in your own abilities to do ministry. Did you feel like you... Like, were you afraid of, like, being exposed as that? Were you afraid of, you know, like, letting one of your students down or letting a volunteer down and it, it kind of being a big deal? Were you afraid of saying the wrong thing or being insensitive or or not being available?
0: Uh, I wasn't really afraid of, like, saying the wrong thing or that, like, I would do something that actively hurt someone. Right. I I felt like I'd be... Like like the first thing that doctors go through, like the Hippocratic Oath of do no harm. Like I, I felt like that was my beginning point and I, I, could, I could get through without doing significant harm. But if you go to a doctor and you leave and you're like, well, I'm not worse, like you're not necessarily <laughs> happy with that doctor, like they should be bringing you towards health and healing and progress and... Yeah. I, the, the big fear was just being exposed as like, oh, that guy's a speaker. He's not a pastor. Mm. That was the big fear that I had that like people would be like, he's good at producing content for us. Right. He's not good at actually being here with us.
1: Yeah, man, i I can so resonate with that and relate to it in this season, especially. I feel like When I was a youth pastor, being emotionally available for my students was a high priority and it was something that, it was something I felt like I excelled at. But right now in this current season, being split between like four different jobs and trying to do as much ministry as I can, there's been several times where someone has reached out to me and said, hey, we should get coffee or we should talk or... And normally in the past I would jump at that, but I just get overwhelmed with my schedule. I get overwhelmed with all of the things I still have to do between all the things that I'm doing. And and it's like, instead of pursuing those more intimate friendships and relationships, I've kind of let some of those things fall to the wayside and get pushed to the bottom of my to-do list because I'm afraid. My thing is I'm afraid that if I can't give somebody all of me, then why should I give like what I, I don't want to give them anything less than all. So it's like I don't mm-hmm. even try, you know, at times because I, I'm afraid that I won't give them what of me is good enough, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, definitely. It It's almost like that idea of I don't want to fail, so I won't even try. Yeah. You know, you don't you don't want to end up failing a person. And you're afraid that if you can't give everything, you're going to end up failing them.
1: Yeah, but like the stupid thing about that is when I left and stepped away from uh, youth ministry at my church, there were kids that came up to me and said like, Aaron, you impacted me so much. Like, you, man, you helped me so much. And I was thinking, I went out to, the, I, I went out to lunch with this guy like twice over the span of eight years, you know, <laughs> like. hmm yeah. But it it meant a lot and that's what I've been learning is like just to not hold myself back and to give people more even when it's not as much as I I feel like I could give. If does that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I what's interesting is I look back on the people that I consider most there for me. Mm. And there have been seasons with a lot of those people where we were around each other a lot and we were talking all the time and they were always sharing new insights and helping me see things more clearly. Uh, But now there's people in my life where there's a fair amount of physical distance and there's been some time in some of those relationships And it's like I still consider them just as there for me. Yeah. Even though being there for me over the course of a year is like four phone calls. Yeah. But like I'm so (laughs) grateful for those people. Like I'm not trying to like this is not like a sneak attack like Patrick Farrell. Call me more like that's not at all (laughs) what I'm trying to do. Like he is so there for me and I'm so grateful But I look back and it's like, yeah, it's not the amount of time that I get from any of those mentors in the course of a year. It's the fact that there's some level of consistency. It's, you know, in in a lot of those relationships, it's that there is a history of a lot of time spent with each other. But now it's so simple Mm. where it's like I have a couple different guys that reach out when big things happen and they're Mm. they're plugged in enough to know when big things happen And even when they don't know if big things happen every once in a while, it's like, uh, hey, how you doing? Everything going good? Like, it's just a a small awareness that goes so far where when I think about like these are guys that are leading other churches, they're pouring in, you know, maybe a hundred sermons a year. They're doing all of these other things. But to make a difference in my life in the course of a year, it's four phone calls. Mm. But I never think, who could I give those four phone calls to?
1: You're you're inspiring me right now because there's literally people that I've had on my list where it's like, I need to send them a text just to encourage them and let them know that I love them. But I've been held back by thinking, that's not enough. You know, like I need Mm. to set aside time to like have a four hour phone call with this person. When in honesty, they probably don't even want that. (laughs) You know, they probably don't have time for that. It's the whole loves and fishes mentality, right? Like Mm -hmm. you think it's not enough. Everyone else thinks it's not enough, but then Jesus multiplies it. Yeah, I need to keep that more in the forefront. So Brian, are there any weaknesses over the last couple of years in sort of the new seasons of life you've been experiencing that you've become aware of?
0: Yeah, I mean, as I think about the last few seasons of life, they've been steady changes out of a traditional church work environment and they've been changes that have happened rapidly. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I've learned is... There's still a lot of Christianity that I only know in my head that I don't fully believe with my heart yet.
1: Hmm.
0: So like I was talking with a friend of mine and I referenced, it's a teaching that I listened to a while back and for the life of me, I can't think of who gave the teaching. So I'm not going to cite my sources and I'm going to say that I came (laughs) up with this. Time to steal some credit. One of my weaknesses is credit stealing. (laughs) not like credit theft or fraud or anything like stealing credit from other people (laughs) but in the message they said that christianity is not really about learning new things it's about relearning the old things
1: i mean that's like that's like a huge part of what this show is i feel like
0: absolutely it's relearning the old stuff that's true so like It's not that as life goes on, you move past the idea that Jesus loves you Mm. so that you can learn new material about Jesus. It's you keep relearning just how deeply Jesus loves you. Mm. So one of the things that I have known to be true about Christianity is that Jesus loves us despite what we produce for him. Mm. And these last few years, I feel like I have steadily produced less and less for him and in part that's just because like work situations have changed. I went from being in a job where I would teach the Bible 3 times a week, <laughs> yeah, to then going to a job where over the course of 3 months I taught the Bible 3 times in like right. a formal teaching setting. Yep. Then going to a job where I haven't said the word Bible more than 4 times in 5 months. <laughs> And now the content that I'm producing is marketing content and is not Bible teaching content. Yeah. And I've had to keep relearning God loves me despite the amount of stuff I feel like I produce for Him. And even I've had to keep relearning that God actually has a plan, even when it doesn't make sense to me. And yeah, man. the weakness is that mm. when my life is on track, it is very easy for me to have faith. And as soon as life gets even slightly off track to me, I realize how brittle my faith in God actually is.
1: Dang, <laughs> that's good, man.
0: So- I told you we weren't going to do the whole like half-hearted, we're actually great people weaknesses. This is just me being a bad person.
1: No, it's it's so relatable. It reminds me of something I heard. I don't know who it was. I, I could steal the credit too. It was some pastor. Do it. Or- preacher or somebody but
0: join me in my weakness
1: (laughs) they said that it's things like this that make them a practicing believer but a functional atheist Mm -hmm. if that makes sense it's yeah you you're you're practicing christianity you're living out christianity but then when it comes to situations like this you're like i doubt that god can really break through here and I think that's something that we all we all deal with and we all struggle with. I mean, for you, I think honestly, Brian, I've seen growth in you in this because I have noticed that tendency that you have to define yourself by what you produce. And I think I notice it because it's kind of like looking into a mirror because I do the same thing. And, uh, and because
0: we actively produce things together.
1: And because we actively produce things together. But yeah, I know there was a time where you were doing this show and you were doing the First Time Bible Teacher podcast. And I think at the same time, I was doing this show, Messages to My Students, Ask a Youth Pastor, and a show called Testimony. I was trying to do four podcasts at once. I would not recommend that to anyone, but I noticed that when you kind of phased out of doing First Time Bible Teacher, I mean, I don't know if that's been eating you up inside that you're not doing it, but... On, from my perspective I see contentment in you like I see that you are at a place where you're okay with that you're okay with like I don't need to be doing four things and and I feel like I've been kind of reaching that same place myself at times I, I mean I do I definitely still struggle though it's kind of back and forth I don't know if you feel that way, but it's kind of a roller coaster where it's like some days I'm content and other days I'm like, why am I not? Why haven't I written four books yet? You know?
0: Yes, that's the one that I really feel. Oh, so I know you. Want so to like write thinking about so first bad. time Bible teacher, I am not frustrated that I'm not doing the podcast. Hmm. I am frustrated that I haven't yet turned the first season of it into a book.
1: Right. That's and your goal. I,
0: I, I feel that's my goal with that podcast, and I feel like I'm. Letting myself down, like I don't have the grandeur of like I'm letting the world down because that <laughs> book doesn't exist. Like I'm not at all thinking that the but, hearts like, and minds I'm, of America hang in the balance as they wait for the next season of first-time yeah, Bible teacher. Whenever anybody says things like teaching in America just isn't what it needs to be, I'm like, I know they need my book. Like that's not <laughs> that's not like the scale that I'm thinking on. But I I feel like. Oh, I should have had this done by now. Yeah. You know, like I'm frustrated with myself that it's taking me this long and that I have as little progress as I have. And but is, you're right. I I've I've needed to be forced into a situation by God hmm. where I literally could not produce the same amount of stuff. And by being backed into that corner and it's kind of like did you watch the Adam Sandler Halloween movie that was on Netflix this year, like Hubie, Hubie Halloween, Halloween or something like that. Yeah.
1: yeah. I, I haven't watched the whole thing. I've actually only watched a few minutes, but I did notice that Ben Stiller's character from, I think Billy Madison or one of the other ones, either happy, I think happy Gilmore. He's like a, like a health ward guy and he's like super mean to his patients. My wife yeah. and I, we started watching the movie and we know we like, we got to that part and then we turned it off after cause we had to do something else. But yeah. Anyway, it was funny. So
0: there's a there's a moment in that movie where he is going through a haunted house because he's trying to like find somebody or something. I don't remember, but he goes into a haunted house and there's like
1: sounds like the plot really creepy, gripped you.
0: Yeah, it was it was captivating. There was like this creepy little girl that was supposed to be like hiding under a bed and she'd reach out and touch your ankle and you'd be like, "Whoa, what's going on?" Which like is a very effective scare technique. And they do that on Hubie, Adam Sandler, and he like freaks out for a solid 20 seconds, even though her hand gets off of his ankle like 18 seconds before he's done freaking out. (laughs) And there's just this moment where like everything is fine, but he's still screaming. And then he just kind of realizes like, oh, wait, everything is fine. I feel like that's been my last year of like, as God has kept pushing me into situations where I can produce less content or do less Bible teaching or do less that's outwardly like ministry focused, I've been just like screaming like, but everything is wrong. Everything is broken. And then it's like, (laughs) wait a second, actually, no one is touching my ankle. Like I might just be okay. Hmm. And I've just been defining okay in a bad way for a while. Yeah,
1: man, (laughs) super super relatable and and so good man that's really a really helpful way of framing it and thinking of it and i know for me like i've been in the exact same boat i've been feeling the same way you know i mean i haven't preached in forever it feels like the first year i moved out here i got asked to speak at a few summer camps but it's been three years now and i feel like i've taught maybe like Five times since I moved and oh, it's so hard because I de- I defined myself as a preacher, but I've been learning. I've been learning that there are other ways to minister to people that don't involve a stage and reverb on a mic. And I've just been trying so hard to learn to be content with that. You know, I know for you with the whole book writing thing, I'm sure that there's a part of it where it's like, you know, you, I, I know that you're trying to plant a church And that's something that's in your future. That's something that you're praying through and hoping through. And I'm sure that in your mind, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it it feels like writing a book is a good next step to church planting, you know, where it's like, that'll get some, that'll give you some cred that will, you know, get, get some attention on you, some potential donors, some, some potential backers to help fund this thing and start it. It's kind of a career launching move. So I'm sure for you, it's hard to trust the Lord's timing and to not feel like you have to rush it and get it out, right?
0: Yeah, definitely. No, it, it's, I've always tried to look for how will step one lead to step two will lead to step three. And it's logical. You know, what's kind of like the, yeah, like what's the smooth progression and and not even just it's logical. It's what most people do with their careers. Yeah. You know, you take a job at the bottom of the company and then you slowly move up and then you move over to a different company where they let you jump one or two rungs in the ladder and you steadily move your way forward. You know, that's just kind of how life typically goes. And then you jump into a ministry career and it's sort of like, oh, so God just gets to do like whatever he wants at any time. Like things don't have to be linear here. And it gets really confusing when you feel like you can see. Oh yeah, I do this, and then it'll lead to that, and then it'll lead to that, and then everything is good. Right. And so much of what we see in the Bible is God use people in non linear ways. Yeah. And it's so true. really important to learn how to let God do that in your life,
1: dude. That you just you just brought something to mind that I've never thought of before. We are so used to in the, in the modern context thinking that God works through pastors and we've talked about this before on the show, but for us as guys who've grown up in a church movement, there's always been this idea where it's like, okay, if we're going to be really used by God, we need to be senior pastors one day. Right? Mm -hmm. Like you've, you've dealt with that before, right? That feeling like youth pastors Mm -hmm. kind of the junior level of God dealing with
0: it right now. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. No, I was just on the phone with a guy, a great friend the other day, and we were talking and he was like, yeah, like I just envisioned you starting a church one day, Aaron, and being this senior pastor. And that, that's what I thought. That was the trajectory you were on. And it's like, I, I hear that stuff and I know that you hear it too and you're thinking through it. But the crazy thing is, so we've grown up with this idea that only, God only uses pastors and you're supposed to aspire to that but then every story in the bible is like oh god found a farmer and used him god found a gardener and used him god found a fisherman and used him and it wasn't always like to take over a church those are great it's a great thing to do that but god uses ordinary people for great things and a lot of times he uses ordinary people for ordinary things that seem small and menial but really like they're they're a part of the great big thing that he's doing I just think it's important to remember that like for you on this idea of strength through weakness, how do you feel like God has helped you get to that point of trusting him more and finding strength in, in the weakness of the things that we're talking about?
0: I think what I've first seen is that God can be strong despite my weakness. Mm. There have definitely been plenty of moments where I've watched God take an idea that, so like I think my most effective sermon that I've ever taught I was in the Dominican Republic. I was leading a junior high missions trip and all of the kids got really catty with each other. <laughs> there was another group that was staying in the same compound. I don't know if I've told you this story. No, you Or if I've mentioned this on the podcast. You okay, haven't. good. Yeah, we were staying in this compound and there were multiple youth groups that would come to this place and then they'd have guides and they'd bring us out into different villages and we would you know, hand out food, we'd put on like skits, we'd play with orphan kids and just do a whole bunch of different things to try to meet some practical needs and be able to share the gospel with people in the Dominican Republic. One of the kids in this other group was named Kyle. I've never seen him again. So if you're listening, Kyle, you made a lot of problems for me back in like twenty (laughs) thirteen or whenever it was. Yeah. Regardless. (laughs) Kyle was a little bit older than our students because we were a middle school group. He was part of a high school group. Kyle really believed in himself. He did not have self-doubt issues, or at least it appeared. And (laughs) half the girls on the team really liked Kyle. Oh Kyle was a good guy. Kyle was a Bieber haircut. I don't think so. Okay. No, he didn't at that point, but he, they really liked Kyle. And then the other half of the kids thought Kyle was a distraction. So I had one group saying, if you like Kyle, you're not here for the right reasons. And you came on a missions trip just so you could meet boys and you blah, 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 blah. (laughs) And then the half that liked Kyle, they were like, well, you're judging us Because we're willing to accept someone who's not part of our group, which means you don't understand grace, which means you're not a real Christian. And like that was what was going on. (laughs) Right. And I had two of the students come to me and kind of like explain what was going on. And they were like, you got to fix this, Brian. What do we do? (laughs) And I was just mad. And what we would normally do is I'd share a Devo at the end of the day. So at first I was going to teach James 3, which James 3 is all about controlling your mouth and taming the tongue and not saying all kinds of evil things about people. And I was like, oh, I could teach that. It'll be good. And I really looked at it and I studied it for a moment and I was like, all right, I feel like I know where I'm headed. And then I looked to the next page and James 4 begins with what causes fights and quarrels among you? Mm. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Mm. And I was like, oh, Lord, this is it, right? And he was like, <laughs> yup. Like it was one of the most clear moments where I felt like God was leading me. And I was like, but Lord, I don't have like... A flow or an outline, like, I don't have any time to study this. And God was like, Don't worry, I got it. And I was like, All right, let's do this. (laughs) And for basically 40 minutes, I just yelled at them. Like, I just got really mad. And I was like, None of this is good. You're all messing up. Like, you guys are just being ruled by your own desires you've all got to get humble. And like, normally I'd teach for like 15 minutes and then we'd have a conversation about the day. Right. I definitely just went for like 40 minutes. (laughs) And then instead of having a conversation at the end, I was like, guys, you know where the problems are among you guys. You all need to like, if you have been hit by any part of this, You need to get humble and you need to ask each other for forgiveness. So Mm. I'm not going to like lead a conversation together. We're not going to just hang out and talk about the day. You know the conversations you need to have, like go have them. Mm. And I just started backing away and I heard them all begin to cry. (laughs) (laughs) And they started meeting up and talking with each other. And I started watching all of these side conversations. And like if before that day you had asked me, What do I need to do for a sermon to be powerful? I would have told you I need to prep for hours. I need to (laughs) study really deeply. I need to like I would have laid out what my sermon prep process was. And in that moment, it was just like, Lord, I got nothing, but I know something needs to happen. Can you take it from here? And it wasn't like I had the idea that the sermon was going to be great or anything It was like the Lord just made it really obvious. He's like, I'm with you. I've got this. Mm. You just step out and like, don't worry about what are you going to say after minute five? You just let me do it, Mm. but you just go step out. So it's like some of my most meaningful moments in ministry have been moments where it was really clear to me where I had nothing, Mm. but God showed up. That's great. And as I've seen more of those moments happen it's made me feel more comfortable when I have nothing or when I'm aware that I have nothing.
1: That's amazing. (laughs) Really, really good.
0: So I think that question really hits on fear. You know, like there's a fear of whether or not God is going to show up. There's a fear of whether or not God is going to still be with you. Yeah. When you think through weakness, I think weakness and fear are pretty interlocked. What are some of the fears that you have right now? What would you say is kind of the biggest thing that brings you to fear? Mm.
1: The two biggest things I feel like, I feel like I'm sneaking into, the the I do like that. The yeah. two the two biggest fears that I have are one that I'm not going to be provided for, which is so silly because God has just proven again and again to me that He provides. But I feel so often like the disciple in the boat, and the storm is around because I'm like. <laughs> You know, my my income is inconsistent. I'm paying for my own health care. I'm doing my own self-employment taxes. And it's just, it's a lot on top of the ministry stuff that we're doing. And I just, yeah, I turn into a functional atheist all the time. And I have this fear that God's not going to take care of us and provide. And then the other fear, and this is probably the biggest one for me, is the fear that I'm not going to be needed by anybody. And that is something that basically... Oh, dude! Like so, I started to get into the Enneagram before we moved, just a little bit, dabbling into it, and then I really got into it after we moved, and it just hit me like a ton of bricks because I was reading about the two, which is me, and I had left this youth pastor job, and I was reading about the two, and it was like, at the time, I I, had, I felt so frustrated, but I couldn't put a finger on what I felt frustrated about, and then I was reading about myself, basically, the the, the Enneagram two. And it was like the Enneagram 2 loves to help people, loves to serve, loves to give, but they don't often realize that they are developing a dependency on being needed by other people. And when when they feel that they are not needed, they feel worthless. And dude, it just like, it was like a sucker punch to the soul Mm. because I realized like, that's exactly how I feel. Like I felt so needed as a youth pastor and I don't, feel needed anymore. Nobody needs yeah. me to, to counsel them, no one needs me to preach a sermon, no one needs me around. And oh yeah, that's been for me like this big fear of like what if I'm not needed? Then what what's the value in me? What's what am I worth? Like why would anybody even want to bother to keep me around? I mean, I even think about in the future when I have kids and I think about like, okay, the, your kids need you when they're really young but like what if i have kids and i like have this huge love relationship with them and then they become teenagers and they don't need me anymore and then it's like what if they don't like their dad i'm i'm having these like existential crisis thoughts about children i don't even have yet you know what i mean like that so it's it's a very it's a very deep thing for me it's rooted in my identity because yeah like when i was in middle school and elementary school i i I felt like it was hard to make friends i didn't feel needed by people that was a huge struggle i had crushes on girls and they didn't like me back so it's just very embedded in my psyche this fear of being left behind and and this fear of not being needed Mm-hmm. By by people. and uh, yeah, that that that's that's a big fear for me.
0: Yeah, I, I think that it makes sense that you're like seeing it that far in advance. Like I, I think that the things that we're afraid of are the things that we can most easily see down the road. So it's like it mm-hmm. it makes sense that you can kind of look ahead and see where these moments might come of of something that you're afraid of. And, and I think that there's a lot of relatability there of like, mm. we all want to be in relationships that go both ways and we want to feel valued by other people. And in part, how we feel valued is those people need us in some way. Yeah. I guess, do you, do you handle that? by trying to find new people that need you or do you feel like you've actually started working through the fear of not being needed? Like to the point of actually coming to the other side of I cannot be needed and it's okay.
1: Wow, that's such a good question, man. That's a really, you're a good interviewer, man. That's, that's, yeah. Yeah, I feel like it's both. I feel like when I first showed up to Oklahoma, I was looking for someone to need me. Because I felt like I needed that and I didn't even realize it. So I showed up to my church and was telling them my background and just expecting them to immediately be like, oh, you were a pastor at that church? Well, then you should do something in ministry here. And that Well, just,
0: then of course we need you. Right.
1: Yeah. And it just wasn't the case. I was basically you know, put on the bench, which is fine. But it was really hard at first. I showed up to a community group and it was you know this group that me and my wife were attending and it was mostly young adults and at the time and it's still something on my heart at the time I wanted to be a young adults pastor and so I was like oh my gosh I'm at this group and it's mostly young adults they're 10 years younger than me like maybe they need and you know like a young adults pastor kind of person in their life mm-hmm. and yeah that just not I mean the group had its own leadership and I wasn't on the leadership team and yeah that was hard for me to feel like I couldn't step into that kind of role but it actually, it that was a catalyst for me of learning how to not be needed just by showing up and being a, a regular part of a group of people who are Christians and following Jesus together where there's no official role that you have to be anything other than just a friend to other people. I hadn't had that in years, and that was good for me, like to learn Like, okay, nobody needs me. Like none of these people are looking to me as like, Aaron, you are our youth pastor. We need you to fulfill that role. I just was there and my wife was just there and we were just people. And what I learned is even though people didn't need me, uh, people actually wanted me. Like nobody needed me, but they wanted me to be their friend. Like they were happy that I was around and they didn't need me to minister to them in any way. But when God inspired me to minister to people, not by like, okay, I'm going to get up and preach a sermon now, but more like, okay, I'm going to pull this guy in the group aside and I feel like God's given me something to say to encourage him. And to see what that did, it was so powerful to me because I realized I can do this ministry thing even if nobody needs me to because God wants me to. Like God doesn't even need me to be in ministry, but he likes me and he wants me to be with him it's the illustration that I've used before of like the kid in the ice cream shop and the dad says, like, Hey, why don't you help me with the ice cream shop today, kid? And 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 so you go in and you're scooping scoops for customers and it's like the dad doesn't need you to do that. He can scoop the scoops himself, but he sure is pleased that you're there with him. And that's what I've learned. Like God doesn't need me, but he wants me. And and that's been really helpful. And uh, yeah, it's it's really nice because I feel like I've grown in this over the last couple of years more than I ever have in my life. And I still have those fears. I still struggle with wanting to be needed and, and needing to be needed. But I, every every week it feels like that need dies a little bit and it's being replaced with something else. And I feel much more comfortable in ministry than I feel like I have in a long time, where I'm not doing it out of any sense of like obligation, but it's just this overflow of the joy that I have in my heart. And what I see God doing in my life, it's like, I want to share that with people. And I don't feel like if I don't make this podcast or this video or whatever, or preach this sermon, like people aren't going to get saved. It's, it's more just along the lines of like, well, this is what God has me doing this week. And I'm very blessed I get to do it because it's not what I'm doing. It's what he's doing. And I'm just getting to show up and do it with him. And, you know, it's, it's really sweet because with my students, I felt like when I was their youth pastor, I was so involved in their personal lives. Like just, I just wanted to be the big brother for them. And there was a lot of them where I was helping them through crises and that kind of thing. And, and like I said, I didn't realize that I needed to be uh, needed by other people. I I didn't realize it. And moving out here, I I went through those withdrawals where it's like, oh my gosh, none of those people actually need me. They went on with their lives and and now I'm in another state and, and they're just doing their thing. And it's like, that was hard, but I've been learning to let go. I've got a picture of my former students in my office and I try each week to look up at that picture and pray for them. And I've been learning to just let go and just be like, they're in God's hands. I'm trusting them to him and I don't need to save them and I can't save them and that's okay and it's been sweet to be in that place because uh, I wasn't there for a while and now I feel like I feel so much more calm in the storm and I just had my first student couple a group of kids that were my youth group they are getting married and they reached out to me and I, I t- when I heard they were engaged, I totally thought they would ask the the new guy, the youth pastor who replaced me, because he's a great guy. And I know they're close to him too, but they ended up asking me and I was so humbled and blown away. And and, and it wasn't like this obvious, like, oh yeah, well, yeah, they, they need me. So like, I'm their guy. So he's going to do it. It was just more of like a, like, wow, like I'm so blessed that I get to do that. Like I'm, I'm, I'm so humbled <laughs> that I get to do that. And so, yeah, I, I, I you know, sorry, it's a long rambling answer but it's just a very personal answer for me. Yeah, this is totally an area I I see God growing me in and I don't want that growth to stop. I want I want it to keep continuing,
0: I guess. Yeah, dude, that is so good. That's so encouraging to watch the journey from a fear that probably ruled your life in a lot of ways. Like I think that fear has a really powerful way of leading us towards decisions. And even just hearing you talk about like I wanted to be so involved in the students' personal lives, you know, maybe part of that was the fear of if I'm not involved in the everyday, they won't need me at all. And like just thinking about how you probably made so many decisions to press in and lean forward and really give your all to something out of that fear of maybe I won't be needed to now being able to pull back from that, face that fear, watch it really probably play some genuine havoc on your heart for a bit. But now to be able to come around to, you know, now I'm not needed, but I'm wanted. I, I've discovered this new thing. Like I... One of the things that we always joke about is that how you and I are the same person. (laughs) And I think we finally discovered where the difference is because when I was in ministry, I hated being needed because I always felt like you only care because you need me. You don't actually want me around. Yeah. So like when I'd be in a spot where it was like, oh, yeah, yeah, of course we want to know what's going on. You're the guy that teaches. It's like you don't actually want to know what's going on with me. You just want me to perform the task for you that I normally perform. And that always felt strange to me. So and like you're saying, when I pulled away from that venue where I was needed, I started to realize how big the gap was between how much I was needed and how much I was wanted. But it's so huge to be able to jump from that one to the other, because I think one thing that people don't always get about pastors is we learn a lot of how we think God views us from the way that our congregation views us.
1: Wow. I've never put that together. That's
0: like we we really true. do pull a lot of how we think God is looking at us based on the way that our people look at us. And, and that was what always really tripped me up about feeling needed at the church because I was like, but this isn't how God sees it. And mm. it was really difficult for me to pull out of... Like, wait, so does God just need me to do this stuff or does God actually want me as a person? And that's, that's huge to be able to learn to pull back from that needed so that you can step into what I think God really does have for his people and for you in particular, which is to feel wanted by him.
1: Yeah. 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 I mean, I've talked about it so many times on the show, but the best book for me to read at the beginning of this journey, was a book called With by Sky Jathani, which was just all about, you know, we don't live life for God, under God, over God. We live life with God. And that's something I'm still learning how to do is to realize that God is not my boss and he's not waiting for the TPS reports by Friday. He's not like waiting for me to get all my tasks done and also making sure that I have dotted every I and and crossed every T and just been the best possible person. He literally died on a cross because he loved me enough to want to be with me. And it's a shame that so often I and probably you and probably a lot of you guys listening, it's a shame that we don't tap into his desire to be with us. It's a shame that we spend time with him sometimes just thinking, what can I get from this and not who can I get from this? If that makes sense, you know? I have friends that I spend time with not because I'm trying to get anything from them, but them. I just want to be with them because I genuinely enjoy their, their company. You know, if, if, if you and I were hanging out, like if we were in the same state, there'd be times where I would hang out with you and not want to record a podcast. Cause I genuinely just like your company, you know? And it's like, that's uh, that's what God's looking for in us. And yeah, we just, we miss that sometimes, but that's probably a conversation for, Another episode.
0: So, we've brought up a lot of weaknesses, and maybe you've been listening and you've heard us put words to a weakness that you felt that maybe you haven't had the words exactly for, or maybe it's just been refreshing to hear somebody else have that same weakness that you feel like maybe you're the only one that you have. We didn't record this episode so that it could just be us all feeling bad about ourselves together. Right. The beautiful thing about Christianity is that weakness can be the beginning point of strength.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I love that 2 Corinthians 12:10 says that is why this is the apostle Paul. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and persecutions and in difficulties when I am weak, then I am strong. And I love that. I love the reality that he taps into because what I've seen when I look at my life, what I've seen every step of the way is as I have followed Jesus, he has always compensated for where I'm weak. Like where I have been weak, he has always proven himself to be strong. And I'm just so glad we have that. Like so many people in the world don't don't have an answer to their weakness besides just try to be better. And if you don't, then you've failed. But we as Christ followers, we have this alternative to that way of thinking where we can actually accept our weakness and not be afraid of it. We can embrace it and say, this isn't something something that is going to kill me and destroy me, but it's something that is going to cause me to lean in to Jesus and to rely on him over myself.
0: Yeah, I think that that's what we often miss about the idea of growing in Christ. A lot of times we think that being a better Christian is kind of like weight training, like you lift a Mm. bunch of weights and then your muscles get stronger and then you are more capable of doing something. Right. And so we wait for kind of like God's strength to become infused into us. Mm. And then we'll be like, wow, look, I am just this super strong Christian. And I don't think that that's ever what God has for us. Hmm. Rather, we will always remain weak, but we will learn more and more that God can in the middle of our weakness show off his incredible strength. And so it's not about how great can I become, it's about let me give my weakness and my weak moments over to Jesus and he'll turn them into moments where instead of everyone seeing my weakness, all they'll be able to see is his strength. Mm, that's
1: so good, man. So good, man. I, I hope this has been helpful for the listener. I hope by listening to us basically give each, give each other free therapy. I, I hope it's been therapeutic for you. And I would just encourage you who are listening. Don't try to pretend you're strong when you actually have weakness because everybody has weakness. Find somebody you can talk to, like find somebody you can open up to about your struggles and weakness. Because I mean, I don't know about you, but just listening to what my friend Brian here has been going through, it it just, I can relate to so much of it and it's been so helpful for me. And that's our hope for you is that this has been helpful for you and that it would possibly inspire you to have these kind of conversations with your friends. Go deep, like get into the weakness, but then get into where Jesus is strong. And dwell on that together. You know, that that's a powerful thing to do.
0: Yeah, if you just sit with your weakness by yourself, it's only going to feel like this insurmountable thing. But... Yeah. You know, one of the things that's been helpful for me in this conversation is being able to see a little bit past my weakness and being able to get Aaron's perspective where he's able to kind of reframe something. And it's like, I look at a weakness of mine and I'm like, it is so big. It's so insurmountable. There's no way that I can get past it because I'm looking at it dead on. Mm. And he can look at it and be like, hey, if you take three steps to the left, it's actually not as scary as you think it is. And (laughs) You know, we need that different perspective to help pull us out of, oh, well, there's no way that Jesus could overcome this weakness. You know, find those friends that can show you, well, he overcame this one for me. And I think that actually you're just locked into this one view. You got to step over this way and you'll see it completely differently.
1: Yes. Yes. I think all of us should not be striving to overcome our weaknesses through things like New Year's resolutions, but instead we should be striving to follow Jesus more closely and to discover his strength. I think we need to discover where he is strong. I think we need to see the places in our life that he is, he's looking at us and not saying, Hey, I want you to carry this giant boulder, but instead he's offering his hand and saying, Hey, let me lift that for you. And I think, I think the more that we follow Jesus, the more we're going to discover the places where he so wants to show up and be strong in those areas where we find ourselves to be weak.
0: Yeah. And even when Jesus displays his strength most, he does it through looking weak. You know, Jesus looked physically weak on the cross. And yet that is the moment that makes his strength available to each of us. Yeah. You know, Jesus loves to do things in ways that look upside down. So yeah, you're totally right, Aaron. There's going to be moments where, you feel like all you are is weak. Mm. And it's not just how can I stop being that, but it's remembering, hey, when Jesus looked weakest, he was actually projecting strength Mm. that the rest of the world can tap into. I might look and feel weak right now, but how can I tap into a strength that's so much bigger than mine?
1: Thanks for listening to another episode of the Good Lion Podcast. If you like our show, please take a minute to give us a review on iTunes. It seriously helps so much. The more reviews we get, the more people will find us. And so if you want to help the show, please just go on iTunes and leave a quick review. We also love questions from listeners and we love to do episodes focused on questions. So if you have a question and you want us to talk about on the show, send it to our email address, which is... Network at gmail.com. Send us a question. We'd love to talk about it on the show. The Good Lion Podcast is a production of the Calvary Global Network and it's produced by myself, Aaron Salvato, and my co-host, Brian Higgins. Our show is a part of the Good Lion Podcast Network, a network of Christian podcasters that Brian and I started with our friends. Check out our website, goodlion.io, where you can find a ton of other Christ-centered, encouraging and equipping podcasts. Our goal with this ministry is to reach people all over the world with Christ-centered content that helps them as they walk closer with Jesus. If you like what we do and you want to support us, go to goodlion.io support. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.